0: The Bible is a big book. For a church to teach through all of its stories in any meaningful way would take years. So, what usually happens is certain stories and characters slip through the cracks. For those of us who have spent any amount of time in church, we probably know a good deal about Abraham, Moses, David, and Jonah. We certainly should know about Jesus. But there's a good chance we haven't heard much about Deborah, or Phoebe or Mary, or Priscilla. So, in this series, we hope to rediscover the important and often untold stories of women in the Bible. We appreciate you listening. May these stories compel us all to contemplate the beautiful and sometimes overlooked diversity of God's people. We are more than half the church. Okay. Having said all of that,
1: again, I apologize. That's a lot of announcements. Brandon, I'm sorry. This has really set you up in a terrible light because announcements never really gets the people going, but here we are. I'm really excited tonight to not be preaching, but not because I get a week off. I'm really excited to not be preaching this week because one of our very own is back into the fold. Uh, Brandon Vanderhoof graduated from SU. And of the many people that I have talked to about seminary education, Brandon, I believe, is the only one that has actually gone to seminary. And I'd like to think that I have a little bit to do with that, so I'm just gonna grab onto his coattails. But he's studying right now for an MDiv at McAfee School of Theology, which is associated with Mercer University in Atlanta. Uh, He's going to be continuing on in our series called Half the Church, the Important and Untold Stories of Women in the Bible. And tonight he's going to be talking about Deborah mainly, but maybe getting into some other characters as well. So I'm going to have Brandon come on up. I'm going to pray for him, and then we are going to let this man give us the word. God, thank you so much for This night, thank you for the opportunities that we have as a faith community to be your hands and your feet, whether that's through our giving or through our serving or through the ways that we interact with people in this community. We thank you for the next few minutes when we get to hear from your servant, Brandon. We are thankful for the words that you have given to him. God, we're also thankful for the Bible and the stories that it has for us that were written so long ago that still holds meaning for us even today. May our lives be disrupted by your truth. May we leave here excited and impassioned to follow you in a way that we haven't before. May we see your son, not only through Brandon, but through the things that he teaches us this evening. May your spirit empower him and illuminate our hearts to receive whatever it is that you have for us, God. We're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the life that we have that's only in and through him. May you speak to us this evening may you do so for your honor and your glory. We pray these things all in Jesus' name, amen. I first want to thank Josh and Doug for this
2: opportunity. Um, Many of you guys don't know me, but this community has really shaped my faith and transformed me um, and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And a lot of times when I sit in my seminary class, I think of uh, what TRP would think about these theological ideas and the real life situations where I've seen heaven invade earth in this community forever shape my proclaiming of Christ. It's an honor to be here, so thank you. Our text for today comes from Judges 4, 4 through 11, and also four twenty-one through 23. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, "The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take position out Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand." Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from other Kenites; that is, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, 21 through 23. But Jael, wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. He was lying fast asleep from weariness, and he died. Then, as Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites. This is the word of God for the people of God. Oppression of the people of Israel by a foreign leader. The people of Israel try to break free from their captivity, But in order to break free, something needs to stop chariots that are trying to use military force to stop them. The Lord intervenes and sends the chariots into chaos by the use of water. These are characteristics in the judge's story, but they also point back to the deliverance of Israel out of the land of Egypt. In the Exodus story, God works to deliver the people from the oppression of Pharaoh. God chooses to use Moses to help bring the Israelites out of bondage. After attempt after attempt, protest after protest, plague after plague, Pharaoh finally agrees to let God's people go. But as the Israelites are already on their way out of Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends chariots after the Israelites. Backed into a corner because of the Red Sea, All hope seemed lost, but God worked in a miraculous way and split the Red Sea. Once the Israelites got across, God sent the chariots into chaos, their wheels stuck in the mud. God delivers the Israelites. After the Exodus story, God becomes known as the one who brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. God becomes known as the one who delivers the oppressed out of bondage. In many ways, the book of Judges is a story in which the people of Israel are in search of a Moses-like leader. Both Moses and his predecessor Joshua have died. The story of Deborah comes after two other militant tribal judges, two other hopes for, of a Moses-like leader, two successful campaigns to regain the promised land. But after the death of the judges, the Israelites forget they turn from God. They do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't seem like these Moses-like deliverers can stop the people of Israel from falling into the cycle of sin. It is in the midst of this perpetual cycle of sin that we find the story of Deborah, a story often untold or forgotten, but this is a powerful story. The story is about a woman who partnered with the God who delivers the oppressed, the same God who delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Two weeks ago, Josh gave a sermon on the story of Jephthah's daughter. I promise this one's not as horrific. And in the sermon, Josh mentioned briefly about the cycle of sin that perpetuates throughout the narrative of Judges. I want to take a deeper look at this cycle because it plays an important part in our story. The cycle begins with the Israelites doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord hands them over into the hands of an oppressor. And after a time, the Israelites cry out to the Lord for help. So then the Lord raises up a deliverer for the Israelites. Within our story, all four of these aspects of the cycle of sin are present, except for one. After the last judge, Ehud dies, the Israelites do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord hands them over to the Canaanites, who oppressed the Israelites with military force. And after 20 years of this cruel oppression, the Israelites cry out to the Lord. So we would expect the next verse to be, the Lord raised up a deliverer, but it's not. Instead, it reads, at that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel. The last part of the cycle is missing should give us pause and realize we need to pay attention. Something different is happening here. Instead, the the story pans to a cool shade of a large palm tree where we find Deborah, the prophetess. Deborah in this ancient world has been chosen to be the mouthpiece for God. Abraham Heschel, a Jewish theologian, paints a great picture of the role of a prophet or prophetess. He says, the prophet or prophetess is a woman who feels fiercely. God has thrust a burden upon her soul and she is bowed and stunned at humanity's fierce greed. God is raging in the prophet's words. The prophetess is a woman who feels fiercely. God is raging in the prophet's words. Deborah, in the midst of the agony that is placed on the people of Israel by the Canaanites, stands up as a prophetess who feels fiercely and whose words are filled with the rage of God, with the passion of God. We also learn that Deborah is the wife of Labadoth, but this same phrase rendered here as wife of Labadoth can also be translated as a woman of fire. She is a spirited woman, a strong, passionate woman, a fiery woman. She is known for who she is as a person herself and not for her status of marriage. She is known for what she can do and not for what she can do for a man. Scott McKnight says this about Deborah Let us not pretend her tasks were social and secular. Deborah was a woman leader of the entire people of God. Deborah becomes known for her leadership and justice and not for her social status as a wife. Deborah is the girl on fire, and just like Katniss Everdeen, Deborah stands out for who she is on her own. She doesn't try to be what society and the culture expect her to be. She is fully who God made her to be, and just like Katniss Everdeen, Deborah stands up against the oppressive systems of those in power. We see this all played out within the last statement in the verse. Deborah was judging Israel and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. Along a busy road between Ramah Ramah, and Bethel, travelers would stop to receive judgment and justice from Deborah. These people exhausted from having to work three jobs just to pay the bills. These people crippled and lame with violent oppression would come from all over Israel. They would come to tell Deborah their stories of their daily struggle. I can't imagine the stories that these people came and told Deborah. In chapter 5 of Judges, the story is retold in the form of a song known as the Song of Deborah. In this song, we learn about the oppression that the Israelites are living through. There, there is a palpable fear that covers all of northern Israel. It pierces them in the deepest parts of their being. The fear that looms is the fear that every breath may be their last. See, the Canaanites are strangling them economically. The trade routes are blocked. There's no way for the Israelites to feed themselves. Any food that they harvest is taken by, by, from them by force, and all they have is the scraps of the fields." And that is not enough to survive. Their ever-grumbling stomachs pangs them with the remembrance of cruel oppression. Oh, can you imagine? And if the lack of food and hunger wasn't enough, the army of Sisera exploits the women of Israel, mothers being taken from families, daughters being ripped out of loving arms, two women for every male. Oh, can you imagine? 20 years of hunger, 20 years of poverty, 20 long years of degrading of human life. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine the stories that the people brought to Deborah? Oh, can you imagine the emotions that raged up inside of this prophetess? Deborah, story after story of heartache and loss piled higher and higher. There's nothing that the Israelites can do but to cry out. And they cry out, they cry out to the prophetess Deborah who feels fiercely and whose words rage with the words of God. And one day the emotions of God rage so much within her she gets a word from God that enough is enough. This oppression can go on no longer. We can take a lesson from Deborah. We can learn how to listen to those who are hurting. It might mean crossing the hall of your dorm and getting to know the person who seems so strange and different to you. It may mean crossing this very aisle, letting generations feed generations, learning about other people's experiences. It may mean making space for the homeless in Salisbury to come and speak their needs, or even the Korean and foreign Students at SU, it means creating a space to listen to the other, seeing them as creating God's image, and then giving space to listen to God and let God's passions rise up inside of us. So Deborah, moved by the God who delivers the oppressed, does what God tells her to do and calls for Barak from Kadesh. She says to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, Take position at Mount Tabor. Bring 10,000 from the tribe of Nathali and the tribe of Zebulon. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishan with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak is now invited to take part with the God who delivers the poor and the powerless. Barak responds with these words, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. It may seem odd to us that Barak responds to a command from God by asking Deborah to come with him. Barak just got a command from God to go and do something. Shouldn't he go? Barak's faith looks weak here, right? Some scholars would say, yes, Barak is being a coward. What is happening is Deborah's faith is being compared to Barak's faithlessness. But... The ambiguity of the text leads to another interpretation, and I would believe a better interpretation. Instead of this being a statement of lack of faith, this is a statement that affirms the presence of God that is in Deborah. Barack is saying, I would be dumb. It would be foolish of me to go to fight Sisera without you. God is obviously with you, and you know how to command an army, so come with me. Barak wants to partner with a God who delivers, but wants an assurance that God will be present with them. The presence of Deborah is that assurance because of who Deborah is and the connection with the God that she has. Deborah responds to Barak's request to go with them, saying, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. The fact that a woman will get the glory and not Barack is not a punishment against Barack. In many ways, Barack is almost a filler character to help move along the story to his climactic, dramatic, and surprising end. Women play a bigger role in this story than men. Barack, although he is a strong military leader, will not be the final victor. A woman will take that honor. Barak will not be the one to get the glory. A woman will. In this culture, Barak's reputation may be diminished. The chance of Barak's name to go down in history, the chance of Barak's name to be sung by all of Israel for the rest of time is gone. When you turn over to the song of Deborah in chapter 5, Barak's name is only mentioned once. It is Deborah, a woman named Jael, and it is God who ends up getting most of the praise. Barak is sacrificing his own glory here to partner with the God who delivers the oppressed. For Barak, where God is moving is more important than what society or religion may believe things should be. It begs us to ask, are we holding on to what we think is right while God is off doing something else? Maybe we need to step back and see where God is moving. That may mean letting other voices be heard. That may mean making friends with the person that you dislike the most. To do these things may mean that you have to make a sacrifice. It takes time to go to those who are hurting. You may need to sacrifice the idea that you know the right answer. It takes sacrifice of time and energy to go to Epoch and work with the children. It takes time and sacrifice to help here at TRP. It takes sacrifice to realize that in the way of God, we are better together than on our own. Barak shows us that partnering with God isn't always comfortable, but Barak is willing to make the sacrifice. The passage moved along with both Deborah and Barak going up and summoning the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali. The place between verses 10 and 12 is what appears to be of random information. In verse 11 it reads, Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the other Kenites. That is the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. This information is placed here and then just left. In some ways it's like an episode of This Is Us where they're showing you what's going on in the present but then flash back to the past and show some symbol, some item or event and then flash forward to the present again. You know what is shown in the past will somehow connect to what is happening in the present, and at the end, you are completely surprised and excited. I mean, really, if you were being honest, though, we aren't that surprised anymore because every episode is basically the same format. But anyways, this is what's similarly happening here. The information about Heber the Kenite is being placed in now, but it isn't until later that the importance of it's revealed. It's great storytelling. It gets us excited when we make the connections later on. The story flashes back to armies preparing for battle. One day, as the Israelites camped, waiting patiently for a word from the Lord, Cold, hard rain fell from the sky, riverbanks bursting forth with rushing torrents of water. On that day, Deborah, drenched from head to toe, water dripping down from her chin, yelled to Barak, up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. With the heart of a warrior, Barak went up to meet Sisera's army. And then it is said the Lord throws Sisera's army and all his chariots into a panic before Barak. The chariot's wheels stuck in a mud. The greatest military technology of the time becomes useless against the power of the God of Israel. Bloodied and beaten, all the Canaanites can do is flee in hope of escaping the fierce blows of the Israelite swords." Sisera flees and runs like a coward. And where does he run but to the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite? The same Heber the Kenite that was slyly mentioned earlier within the story. The same Heber the Kenite who had separated himself from the other Kenites. The same Kenites in which Sisera thought were his allies. Heber Jael will quickly show that our true loyalties lie elsewhere. What transpires in the tent of Jael is gruesome. It is difficult for us to understand. It seems as if Jael is being a great host. She kindly invites Sisera in. She gives him a place to rest. But the problem is that by the very act of Sisera asking for water, he's violating hospitality customs of the time. And then he asks her to lie. And at that very moment, hairs on Jael's neck stand up. Something is not right. Jael knows that she is in danger. The man in her tent is a threat to her life. Taking a deep breath, Jael prepares herself for what must be done. Jael knows what Cicero has done to so many Israelite women. If this was any other day, if Cicero was not so tired from war, Jael would be the victim Closing her eyes, her friends that have died of hunger and violence flash before her eyes. Palm sweating, she grabs the closest thing in arm's reach, a tent peg and a hammer, the same two things that she had used to build a tent to protect herself earlier. Inching closer to a peaceful sleeping Sisera, She knows it must be done. This is for all the girls who stood up and said, me too, the time is up, enough is enough, and boom. And with one swing, the final death blow to the oppressors is brought at the hands of a woman. The story is violent and bloody. It is not something that we do. We would probably say that God was involved in. But Deborah, Barack, and Jay All are all remembered as playing a role in helping to deliver Israel out of oppression. It is an ancient story told in a very different time. But remember the cycle of sin. Remember how the last section was missing. It is missing because God is the ultimate deliverer in this story. God gives the message to Deborah. God goes out before Barak. God sends the chariots into chaos. This is the same God who delivered the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And this is the same God who, according to the Gospel of Matthew, came as a new Moses-like leader in the form of a man named Jesus to deliver all of creation. Jesus was not like what was expected. He was not a strong military fighter like Deborah, Barak, and Jael instead a poor, humble Jew. But the Gospel of Matthew declares that this poor, humble Jew named Jesus is the new Moses-like leader. In fact, Jesus is a better Moses than Moses, and Jesus comes proclaiming that God is on the throne, and God's rule is defined by delivering love. It is defined by action of love that sets the oppressed free, action of love that gives the blind sight, the sick healing, the captive's freedom, and the lost become found. As followers of Christ, we have been invited just like Deborah, Barak, and Jael to partner with the God who delivers so let the story of Deborah inspire us to listen to those who are suffering and be moved to action by God. Let us be willing to be like Barack and see that the work of God's deliverance is bigger than ourselves. And like jay let us be willing to, in the face of systems that are oppressive and dehumanizing, put the work in to bring them to an end. For through Jesus, God has already begun the work, but God wants us to participate in bringing the reign of God right here in Salisbury. And we can go faithfully doing this work because God has been faithful to deliver before and God will be faithful again.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of TRP's podcast. The Restoration Project is a church affiliated with a Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. If you're in the area, we invite you to join us for one of our weekly services on Sundays at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, we believe that there is room for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.restoresby.org. And for past teachings, feel free to check out our SoundCloud page at www.soundcloud.com slash restore or to make it easier subscribe to our podcast on iTunes we hope to see you soon